You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. And welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd podcast. Nerds. As always, I'm joined by Cap and Alex from the Something Good Network. Yo, yo. Home of the Something Good for You podcast. There the, you go. The Couch Brotatoes. Hey, whoa. All kinds of good happening See, stuff. NASA podcast. Hint, hint. Oh, y'all are still on that? Oh, yeah. We're still on that. Oh, we'll see. We're not letting you go this easy. You're trying <laughs> yeah. to wrap this kiss we'll shit see. up. We're not letting well, you out of the network We've still got a long fast. ways to go with this. We really do. We really do. And um, this was a fun revisit, too, just because there's a lot of like new things about this. Like Again, this is when Kiss is you know, coming into my life. You know? yeah. It's funny. As soon as Cap said fun, Russ just like darted his eyes over like, the fuck you said? <laughs> <laughs> no fun here. Um <laughs> Yeah, so we're, you know, tracking the history of KISS. Obviously, if you've been along with us this far, you know exactly what the drill is. If you were a first-time listener, welcome aboard. You're welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I'm hey, surprised. I refrained oh, the entire podcast. <laughs> I refrained every episode. Well, this We've is made... the episode to do it. That's yeah. why I saved it. Good job. Well, well <laughs> I'm surprised our listenership hasn't jumped off at this point. They're probably sitting there going, is that guy even really a Kiss fan? (laughs) Honestly, a lot of the feedback I've been seeing between the message boards or comments on our Facebook or Instagram and even personal messages. A lot of people are saying, I'm enjoying revisiting your 80s uh, retrospective. And I think it's because we honestly tried giving the records a fair shake. We tried looking at it as objectively as we could. So I think just for the fact that I think maybe for uh, at least the consensus I was seeing is the fact that we do just kind of speak our minds, but not in a rude way. And we also don't even adore everything that happened in the 70s. That is just a refreshing take. That seems to be the consensus. So we we appreciate the feedback, guys. Yeah, thank you. We're just three knuckleheads in North Carolina that like like this shit. (laughs) But no, that we like some of it <laughs> like some of it oh the only the main negative feedback i've seen is some people go i wish you'd go more in depth with like demos and stuff yeah you know the thing is which is, hey I'm, i can I'm, talk about that on this episode you can if you'd like i just generally try to go in broad strokes and that's the reason why i don't and there's a certain point where i'm like i think it you know it's a little too we are called a kiss much. nerd podcast, we can't though. i could nerd out on some of that stuff but i did i, I made a decision that to go more broad stroke with well, this what if we did a demos episode where maybe we kind of uh, figured out a handful of demos that we thought were pretty interesting bring it to the table and talk about the time eras maybe yeah, and can, what record it was for well that that was kind of the point i'm getting to it's like i've gotten a couple of messages like going 
well, what are y'all going to do when you're done? I hope y'all continue to do something because people, like you said, enjoy it. And we really appreciate it. I had uh, not given any real deep, serious thought as to what to do after, but I've kind of came to the idea that, um, it would be proper to kind of keep this going until they've played their final show. Ooh. Okay. But I don't know what we could do content wise. So, uh, you know, that could be an idea. Open the floor to our listeners to make suggestions of their own. Oh yeah. Um, but in the meantime, let's, let's get on with where we're at here. We're coming out of the reunion tour and getting ready to go into what is the psycho circus album cycle uh, and before all this i think it's also important to note that um it seems to be everyone's in semi-good spirits by the end well, of how the could you not tour. be i it mean that reunion tour grossing. was the highest grossing tour of the year and was um, i mean it was an unqualified success we talked mm-hmm. about that i don't think anybody anticipated you know by the end of 1997 or the whenever that tour ended for them to go, oh, and by the way, the most successful tour in the world was Kiss. Right. That just came out I mean, of nowhere. You could argue that by virtue of that success, that Kiss had once again became the biggest band the on earth. The hottest band in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you yeah, know. So it just, I, they've repeatedly said that Peter was the MVP of the tour. It seemed like Ace was kind of holding himself together most nights, at least as far as Ace could those nights. Yeah, you know, I think Ace is one of those characters where it's like when he's sober and on, he's on. Yeah. And when he's fucked up and on, he's still on. You know, I (laughs) mean, he's just sort of, he's got that level average. It's like he's never going to be spectacularly great but he's never going to be shitty but he's always going to be ace he's, he's had some shitty nights it's though. just like you've seen him play stinkers like you but it's still an ace flavor of a stinker yeah you know? okay I, I can see you that know. too but here i got reflection here on the reunion tour that kind of has left me with mixed emotions okay and you know i i started thinking about this so um you know it's like on one hand you were excited and happy that the original lineup had gotten back together it's like, you know, you see your childhood heroes reunited and on the march. Yes. You know, and it's like, kiss. My favorite band that Not I never saw. Kiss, kiss, capital. Let her kiss. That's right. <laughs> but it's not the same. And let's be honest. It can't be the same because... Even though it's the same four guys, people they're not the same four people they were 18 years prior. As is nobody. People grow, they mature, they change, they whatever. And they're not I'll say 22 at least two years old anymore. I'll say at least on a visual aspect, they tried their best. Like within the Kiss community, there's been some leak kind of footage come out. What I call the Tommy tapes, which mm-hmm. is a lot of unedited uh, second coming footage. Which that Tommy Thayer Tommy Thayer filmed. Correct. Yeah. And hence, um, hence the Tommy the, tape. Yes. No one else is calling it that, but I just as soon as I saw that big post of it, I was just, just like, that's the proper name for all yeah. this. He was the filmographer and all yeah. of it. But some of it was like backstage footage of them like getting photos done. It gets like the red background. And one of the posters I have up in my bedroom is a nineteen seventy six photo session of them against a red background in the destroyer outfits. Mm-hmm. Well, they're in the Love Gun outfits, but now they're against a similar red background. And I remember the photos not really capturing it, but Tommy Thayer's angle with his camera back like kind of behind the photographer recording footage, his angle the fan in him knew where to place his camera. And for a second, I'm sitting here going, wow, 
now I feel the excitement that they were feeling. Yeah. Like looking at that, I was just like, oh, wow, this really does feel like the old band back together. And everyone was kind of getting along. Just Peter didn't like being filmed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Peter likes much of anything, which is fine. Um, the, you know, and, and one thing that has happened here is it's created at least a perception of a demand for new merchandise. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the merchandising starts grinding up again, much like it had in the late 70s. The big difference here is now they've figured out, okay, we're going to license you know, we're not going to be actively pro- or proactively involved in whatever's being manufactured. Bring us an idea. We'll sell you the license. You pay us up front. We mm-hmm. get our money, whether you make money or not. Yep. It's a smart way to go because they we've, we've, we've talked about in previous episodes how much they lost. You know, mm-hmm. they generated 200, whatever it was, $250 million in like two and a half years or yeah. something. It's crazy. Bill said it on that and, 77. And it just all yeah. just, where'd the money go? Well, here now they're going to get their money, <laughs> which is fair and understandable. But there's a lot of really awful stuff that flood the market. But hey, you know and, what? And none I of this guarantee stuff hold- you all three of us at this table contributed to it, though. Absolutely. I, yeah. bought, I bought, you know, I was super excited when, when McFarlane did their action figure the set. The Alive and... Well, yeah, no, was, the first set. The yeah, very first the Alive, set. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. I know no, what you're no, talking no. about now. The first set came out with each each individual member had a, a letter, and mm-hmm. you put the letters together for the logo. And they had, like, their superhero And costumes. it was like a superhero kind of... It was I very. That it was McFarlane. Very, I yeah. thought his first was the Alive. No, My he apologies. did that, and then they did Psycho the, Circus. the Psycho Circus set, and then they did that Alive set later on. Got it. Um, but the, the wildest... Go ahead. I was going to say the wildest thing I've ever seen licensed out was Kiss Air Guitar Strings for eight bucks. Yeah, well, that's there you a reason. There you go. <laughs> um, but here's the question Who and what is Kiss in this current climate? And when I say current, I mean late 90s. In the, as far as pop now, culture, who is their audience? Who are they trying to appeal to? What position can they assume and drive forward? Because. Classic rock radio, AOR is what mm-hmm. they album oriented rock radio. It will still play at this point in time, they would still play the new material of classic bands. Eventually, even that kind of goes away. But yeah, they'll play like the one song or something. You know, like that. is that who they're going to try to go to? And because, you know, as far as popular standard for quote unquote rock and roll music in that time, it's modern rock yeah right. which is what they've come to term in the industry for alternative music you know but the hot bands the bands that are selling four million five million six million twelve million whatever no longer is it we've talked about in the 80s it was bon jovi you know white snake or who, who bon, what motley crew whatever yeah. yeah now it's it's the smashing pumpkins green day green day and static x well more punk rock but i'm saying but these alternative like is kiss gonna appeal to these fans is this who they're you know not only that but heavy metal like slayer and pantera but are they yeah but i don't think those bands are selling like four and 12 million you know i'm talking about the big but nobody's really an arena band no at this point i mean uh Grunge was kind of like on its way out as far as hard rock. Yeah, but some of these bands that sustained Pearl Jam, sustained Soundgarden, uh, again, Smashing Pumpkins. But again, just more like. But most of these bands that were coming up were like one and done. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and they would sell a million copies. 
They'd have their platinum album, and then they do their sophomore record. Nobody buy it. They get dropped. They were done. Yeah, there was the pattern and with like all of those bands. all of those bands. I mean, it's just, just you know better than Ezra, and uh, that became the the cliche of like, oh, I like their first two albums. <laughs> Even the bands that were opening on the on the Kiss reunion tour, band like the Verve Pipe or whatever. I mean, mm. mega selling record gone. Yeah, you know, here today, gone today. <laughs> <laughs> so where does Kiss fit into this paradigm? Because somebody somewhere decides they're going to make a new album, but but before I want to get there, I've written some notes here, and I hope you don't you'll indulge me because I, I, I no kinda, I like this I kind of gave myself a little bit of a thought exercise, and I'm going to pass the ball to to y'all here in a minute, but you know I started kind of thinking about like what these reunion videos and audio sounds like there's a lot out there because they obviously they had a live feed in every arena so you know virtually every show of that tour is probably available on youtube in some form or fashion i think i have uh i mean i'll have you ask the question but i think i know what you're getting at and i have like a couple of uh thoughts on it too well i'm just saying as far as like they sounded to me in retrospect now again i talked about when i saw them walking out my face hurt yeah <laughs> i was smiling the whole time i had a great time um but looking at it and i'm like they'd sound even more clumsy and clunky than they had in their heyday and some of their shows in the heyday were kind of clumsy and clunky sounding but that's like that oh hey man it's rock and roll but it's thing. rock and roll they were going for energy and it had a fire and a spirit and that's where i think the the disconnect for me is like it doesn't possess that same fire and spirit because again they're not the same people now they've had all of everything they're you know they the drive that existed particularly in the early era before they became rich and whatever you know the, the what was the quote i know what it's like to be, be famous, famous but i don't know what it's like to be rich or whatever yeah you know you watch those videos and you can tell they have a hunger and a fire and a drive to them and by 1979 though we've talked about how some of those shows are just really bad and this <laughs> is still classic era kiss so it isn't the makeup it isn't the costumes it's the people and what they're bringing to the table and and the word i came up with and i was thinking about this was like I was like, it's almost like they're apathetic, but they're not. It's not apathy. It's complacency. Mm -hmm. And they fall into this complacency straight away on the reunion tour. It was like once they realized, hey, we're fucking back. And which only it took was like e- a show. It was easy. It was easy sailing from there on out. Yeah, they got comfortable, and, and they got very comfortable. And uh, they know the audience will accept it, flaws and all. The Kiss audience always has. You know that is my disconnect with the so-called Kiss Army, because I we talked off off uh, Mike off mic earlier about the message boards and like mm-hmm. the, i just I, you know the, i just my my eyes cross reading that stuff sometimes <laughs> I, I visit them no, on a daily basis <laughs> yeah i have no connection to those people whatsoever yeah. i think that their taste is awful and their willingness to buy anything with a kiss logo slapped on it is i don't participate but i, you know, I still visit it on a daily basis I, i've been commenting a little bit more as this you know leaked footage has been coming right. out we're not going to comment on the right. logistics of it but from the fan side it's awesome Awesome it's seeing exciting. so much of this coming out. It's really exciting. It is. It absolutely is. Um, and part of that is why I'm talking about this is because some of that 75, 76 stuff came up, and you're and I'm just watching Peter. Yeah. And I'm like, motherfucker. 
you know? <laughs> and somebody made a comment on one of these little message boards, and this is where I got sideways, you know, going, someone was like, man, Peter was so great. And someone was like, Peter was never great. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And I know what they're talking about, because their idea of great is is fucking Rush or some bullshit like that. Something a little bit more It's tight. like no fire, no spontaneity, no, you know, no, was Peter Chris a technically gifted drummer? Fuck no. But was he a great rock and roll drummer? He had a... In that time, absolutely. Was he playing the same thing twice? No. No, he had but, a vibe. But he had a vibe, and he had a manic energy, and it was exciting, and it gave Grab- that the music by and, the horns and hold, hold on. on and you you know and we'll see you on the other side ace freely too but the whole band did but peter in particular and i think that was a big the big that's the point i'm getting to is it's sort of the hinge pin is you know and i think this is true of most any band is you're only as good as your rhythm section mm-hmm. because you know if you've got a drummer that has a drive and an energy it's going to pop everything up yes. and, you know and it's almost like he becomes more laconic as he's and, and i understand he's you know, I, like you said, he was the MVP of that tour. I'm sure he was playing through a lot of pain, through a lot of it. It's not an easy gig, you know. But but you know what? Mm-hmm. All three of us having studio and producing experience uh, through those um, what I was referring to as the Tommy Thayer tapes being released. What some of the coolest footage that got out was. Um, and no, I'm not saying that as in the connection to him releasing it, just him as the videographer. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to clarify that for someone grabs that and is like, oh, it's That's not what I'm saying. But seeing them practice and Peter doesn't have the triggers on the drums. Right. You're yeah. hearing his. Well, you're talking about when hit. they're just in the small practice room. Yes. And when they're in the small practice room. I think that room. sounds better than yeah. the, any of the reunion Well, that's what stuff. I'm getting well, at. Is the reunion shows had triggers and stuff, too. Yes. Maybe with them kind of saying, you know, oh, well, Peter's being so light-handed, we had to add them. Maybe that's part of the reason those feel, drums do feel so flat is because Peter is a jazz drummer. He relies on certain um, jazzy. Well, not even it's yeah, a touch. jazzy. It's a I wouldn't touch. call him a jazz it's drummer, like, but like, yeah, but it's like, he's right. got a touch he has, too. Yeah, yeah. We well, have that swing style. Yeah. And he's not, and he relies on the vo- velocity. That's the yeah. he relies on certain velocity on that snare hit. Well, if you've got that trigger turned up all the way, where it's the same pop noise, no yeah. matter what hits, yeah. it's going to sound very stilted and stagnant. Yeah. When Peter's not even that style drummer mm-hmm. to begin with, which is maybe why that rehearsal footage sounded so cool. Yeah, is you really heard. Peter playing again, right, right. not Peter playing drum noises. So yeah, that could be a reason. But again, it goes back now. Um, they've decided somewhere, hey, you know, now seems like we should do a new album, which goes into my thought process. You hear, I was going to throw it to you. What if Kiss had not reunited the original Kiss? What if it was still Eric and Bruce and they had made carnival of souls what do you think would have happened where do you think they would be in as we go into what is this 1998 see led zeppelin hasn't had a proper reunion tour or anything like that since the band initially uh dismantled after john bonham died and they're still as you know cool and relevant today you know, without any of that, but they haven't had to, like Kiss has had to for like reunions and such. But, but Kiss isn't Led Zeppelin, and we're talking about lowercase Kiss, right? And, uh, and there was never a lowercase Led Zeppelin. But do you think uh, there would be a uh, 
would Kiss be? Well, yeah, you're right. I'm trying to think of like uh, you know, thinking of the the Kiss mytho, the Kiss myth would be as big as the Led Zeppelin, you know, no. myth. Well, that that was kind of not as that that's that kind of proves true by the success of the reunion tour. But I'm saying, had the reunion tour not happened, and it had remained Eric singer and bruce kulik oh so the reunion never yeah well, this that's I, what I i'm thought saying you were saying the reunion happened mm. then they go back because that yeah. was what they were initially thinking i forgot about we were going to do too. the one tour for the fans and then we were going to go back know to that the they bruce actually ever thing. believed that but i think they believed it for a short time i think they were, it was, i think they were just and set, the only reason they were only hedging out, the bet in case the the reunion tour wasn't that big of a deal they would still continue to be Kiss, uh, K-I-S-S, lowercase. Lower the lowercase kiss. Well, but that's well what the I'm reason Let's I say, say that is because um, one of our commenters brought up that they actually did a radio tour for Carnival of Souls when it got released. See, I, I, okay. So that, with that, that that's not, I still think for a minute they had that in the back pocket of, okay, after think, we finish the reunion tour, we'll release this record proper. Right. Well, that I think they had an obligation to the record company to do some level of promotion for that record. If going, But I don't count that as proper promotion. It's, it's like, not proper, but, it, but it's know, still Gene and Paul showing up talking about a new record and hyping it yeah. and talking about but how good the how, songs are and how much how they much enjoyed hype it. Are they gonna, how much excitement and hype can you pump into something when it's just been completely trounced by the reunion they of tried. the original band? Someone posted a, a link for us yeah. and I actually listened yeah. to it and yeah, they're trying. They're trying their hardest to sell it. But I'm saying, let's just say that the reunion didn't happen. Okay. Where, where do you think that would have landed them? Do you think they could have pulled off another arena tour? Because we talked no. about the final show of the Revenge Tour was less than 3,000 people in an arena. Yeah, I don't know. And some of those shows were only about 3,000 people. They would have had to have probably wound up in the clubs or opening for a bigger established act. But no one was really touring. Like I said at the beginning of the show, there's not a lot of arena acts by the late 90s. That, I think they would have had, had opening kinda, gigs, like you were mentioning, mm-hmm. and... They would have done more convention tours. The reason I say that is when I was uh, researching, put in air quotes, uh, listening to a lot of reunion tour interviews, uh, just to kind of catch a vibe of everything they were saying and the emotions they were putting out. They were asked a lot about doing more convention tours. So that was something people really enjoyed. So I think they would have released Carnival, not Maybe, maybe it was another elder situation. They would have released Carnival of Souls, tried to get a, a tour book, just couldn't get anything together. Scrap it, go back and do another convention tour. And maybe through the convention tours, instead of doing acoustic, they actually do live sets too and play new material. I think they would have kept it maybe on that circuit because that was very profitable for them at the time. Yeah, but how many? You see, the question then is how many times do they think they can go around getting away with that? Because once the novelty of that is done, then you're playing casinos and stuff you know, like that. This is, well, this is, I don't know. I, I raised that argument with for our area. How many Charlotte Kiss conventions did we go to year after year? Like there was like a five. There was like five in a row at one point. Yeah. And it was like about but they every year, they every other year. And they weren't $100 a pop. No, they weren't, but they still had members show up. But it right. was still people in the area coming together, enjoying it. And about they're still once doing every that. Other that's, year. that's had a healthy so, little so, cottage industry So to going. point to that argument, that's I think they could have uh, ran you, it for they, a while. You may well be right. I'm, I'm just tossing out oh, yeah. questions here. But that's at least my answer. You know, the old Keep adage the is that going. nature abhors a vacuum. 
but Kiss isn't your typical AOR radio <clears throat> act. They're, you know, uh, right, so the question is, are they really something you can bottle up and pull down off the shelf and enjoy at your leisure? And and you know, I don't know. I mean, this is just a question, especially teenagers. Can a teenager like you know enjoy this because the Kiss right song? exactly? Like, well, they're relying on the parents and doctoring mm-hmm. the kids like mine did because they would, like, kind of, they would, they would pop <laughs> up got, on they would pop up on cartoons and stuff like that too, like a uh, Kablam, like oh yeah, the Action League now, but well, as like a novelty thing. Because the reason why I asked this is because it seems logic to me, and this is my thought that I had when all of this started to. Un, you know, be announced this new album. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. It seemed to me the logic would be you don't make a new album because the you can't compete against your classic self. It's certainly not Kiss. There's no possible way to win that war. You can't do it. It cannot be done. Has it's, any band be, only that- because. Of who they were, again, how vital and important that mythos is. It's a much heightened state for your average Kiss nerd because they're something way more special than the Eagles, right? Right. Uh, you're not going to make a record that's going to, no matter how good the record may or may not be, it's still not going to be held in the same esteem as your classic stuff. So the smarter money to me would be, all right, let's mothball all this for another two or three years. Let the demand build back up again, and we'll go out again, and we'll do it all over again. No, they just kind of went out immediately, But didn't instead, they? we get this new album idea. Well, because it sounds really good on the radio, the new Kiss album with the original four, does the get, reunion album. Does it sound good on the radio? Because, again, I mean, here's the question. What audience are they going to try to sell to? MOR? Are they going to sell to or modern rock? I mean, or classic rock? Because, you know. Bands like ACDC are still releasing new records. But they're not, but like, they're not, bands like Motorhead are still releasing new records. But they're not records. selling new records, is my point. It's and they're like, also not like pumping it like the original lineup or and, whatever. And odds are that ACDC's new album in 1998, when they did like uh, what was coming out in that era, my, my timeline's a little screwed um, up. They did. The, stiff upper lip. Stiff upper lip. Like that stuff got played in but rotation yeah. on your classic rock radio station. Will Kiss reach that audience? Because, again, that's what they're hoping for. Because now they're trying to go, okay, we know we have our fan base. We have the Kiss Army. We know what that is. And we know they're with us. And they're going to buy this regardless if it's good or not. That now right there, I get... feel like they think is enough. Because think mm-hmm. about Dodger Stadium. Right. I'm... If every person in that stadium was excited for a new record, and if every one of them bought it, and if those people that showed up and sold out every one of those coliseums, stadiums, right. if every one of those people had bought a record... It wouldn't have, just like it in the 70s, it would have not mattered if it got radio play. They didn't get radio play in the 70s. They sure as shit didn't get it in the 80s. Exactly. Why are they expecting any different now? So that's They're what, expecting that's every one point. of those ticket buyers to buy They're a record. They're trying to reach mm-hmm. across and create the what I call the fair weather fan. Yeah, they want to get because their music at that point isn't in heavy rotation on classic rock, right? No, you have like rock and roll all night, and that's about it. Maybe look it up. (laughs) They want to get put in the same perception as these classic rock 
ARR, AOR bands. And that includes, you know, we, we go, oh, yeah, they want to be Led Zeppelin. They want to be the Who. They want to be the Stones. No, they also want to be Foreigner. They also want to be REO Speedwagon. They also want to be Bob Seger because these are the bands that are out, get played. I mean, those guys made a shit ton of money just on those residuals of radio, which Kiss never did. Kiss made their money on the road the hard mm-hmm. way. And we're talking about lowercase Kiss now because none of that classic era Kiss ever sustained on classic rock radio. I can remember being a kid calling as a teenager can you play kiss you know and being told no <laughs> you're like no god damn it no so i know you have detroit rock city in but, there but conversely yeah. so they so obviously and it would see it makes sense on paper it makes sense in logic to go make, make a new album we okay. sold out all these stadiums and you know, if, if, if the, at least these people buy it it'll be some sort but of the success. question i have is how good is this album going to be and this is the question i posed when it first got announced and i got ripped again going back to the old message boards right the old rmak news group right oh. usenet right i'm like how good do y'all think this is going to be if individually these Four guys could not release anything of any dubious quality over the previous 18 years because <laughs> 80s Kiss. I will still and fight you on some of that Ace Frehley solo Ace Frehley solo albums are not good. And I'd, I'm Peter's agree with Russ. albums are really not good. <laughs> I hadn't even given them a trial, but there's a good handful of Ace solo material that's there's, really there's a solid. Handful, there's a handful, but not, not, not enough to sustain albums and not enough no, to sustain no, a career. But, but there's I'm a just solid saying amount. There's not, there's not anything happening. Who thinks that they're going to be able to do this? Well, and then the concept is announced. Psycho Circus. Apparently, this is a Doc McGee idea. He's and, like, and, no, and, and, and I'm going to ask another little question, a little thought exercise here in a minute. But I remember thinking at the time how corny an idea this was because Kiss, you know, to a point, we, we've talked about even going back to their first album when allegedly they were going to be posed with balloons. They're not, they're not clowns. Yeah, this yeah. is not the circus. This is not a car- dark carnival. One, this is, they've fought. That. They've always fought that, and now they're just leaning. It's into frustrating it. because they're adopting this analogy now when there's something bigger and better than a mere circus, which goes now to the question: uh, Who do you think has served as a better manager for Kiss in the long run, Bill Lacoin or Doc McGee? Doc Don McGee's even had more years under his belt at this point, I mm-hmm. think, than Bill did. Yeah, because Bill had about maybe, what, 10, 11 years, roughly? Yeah. Yeah. And now Not Doc's- even that. They, he, he, they fired him in 81, so mm-hmm. he came in 73. So yeah, less than even, 10 years. Doc's like, going on over 20 at this point if he started in the mid-90s. But what has he brought to the table? I mean, here's what I think. And this is again not knowing a we I don't have access to the whole big picture, but just from a layman's point of view on the outside looking at it, I'm looking and going, Well, Bill Coin seemed to have a better grasp of what the concept was and what it meant and how to work you know, how to manipulate he it. Form it. Right. He was a better creative mind 
than Doc McGee. Doc McGee might be a better business mind, which in turn probably proves to be far more important in the long run. At least clearly, from a financial stance. From a financial stance. Career too. But, but not from, from a creative, creative point, everything they're going to do from this point on is just hackneyed, in hmm. my opinion. I, I, you know, I thought that this was a horrible idea. <laughs> they announced Bruce Fairbairn as the as a producer, and I'm going. Why would you ever get who? Why? I just know him because from Razor's Edge from ACDC. Uh, 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 we'll we'll talk about that here in one minute, in a minute. But um, the, my first thought would, was, of course, you were going to get Eddie Kramer or Bob Ezrin. You're going to go back and you're going to make a classic fucking comeback record. This is going to be. It's either going to be all or nothing, and we're going to get. Something. We're going to get something. <laughs> now, I will say, at least in because I am the youngest of the table, even mm-hmm. though Cap's only got like, what, three, four years on me, I was still the youngest at the table. Um, I remember distinctly when this album came out because all of a sudden it was in rotation in mom's car. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that she had to have gotten it within the week it came out. Um, I remember listening to it and. And of course, we'll get into this part too, but even kind of feeling like this doesn't sound like the other kiss she's played. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the young kid dug the idea of a psycho circus. The adult now looks at that and goes, Yeah, but, that's pretty dumb. But your perception of kiss was very different. Because, very different. I mean, when how I old are younger. you? I mean, you wouldn't even have really I, formed a. It, because, like, I haven't. Yeah, I, I would have you know, been like. You had not nine. even really formed your own real taste at, at I that knew age. I no liked kid Kiss, though. Yeah. I knew yeah. I liked that. Right. But it's like, I remember when that came out, and I didn't think the concept of Psycho Circus was weird. I thought it was kind of cool right. with everything mixed in. Well, that's, as, as I got older, proves, I thought it was I goofy. I think that's what they were trying to sell to these Fairweather fans that never really knew the difference or anyway. kids, because think about it, They had the comic book tie-in, they had the toys tie-in, they were, and they had a video game. Right. I don't think that was so much aimed at young kids as the idea of it was aimed at, like... Collector teen, there was a collector market that was burgeoning at the time, and it was more teenage and older. I think they were, I think they were definitely conscious of of the not the eighteen to thirty four, but maybe a fourteen to yeah, you know. But I was already drinking the Kool Aid, so I wanted what, all of it. Right, right. <laughs> Mom and doctored me young. Um, Bruce Fairbairn is going to produce this record. Mm-hmm. Uh, his record, his track record, let's call it that, is. Impressive from a com- commercial perspective, right? And uh, I guess he came to prominence producing Lover Boy, who were huge in the early eighties. Like he produced Working for the Weekend yeah, and all that, all the all the uh, you know big oh, Lover Boy hits. I mean, that's. But he also produced Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet, in New Jersey, two mm. gigantic the albums that Kiss were trying to aspire to when they made like Crazy Nights, yeah. So, and then you just said, uh, so now we have the guy ACDC's Razor's Edge and the big comeback records for Aerosmith. That's probably the, what they were looking at the most the comeback record mm-hmm. for Aerosmith because this well, is supposed I think to be their it, I think the Bon Jovi record. Aerosmith one two punch mm-hmm. with Desmond Child on board, too, right? Um, Let me look up. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't produce, I don't think, on this. He might, I don't think he contributed anything on this record. And now, maybe uh, that was the missing ingredient, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I ran across this recently, not doing specific research for Psycho Circus, but just kind of falling down interview rabbit holes. Apparently, 
Eddie Kramer approached Kiss about doing the record. But someone, someone in the camp wasn't a fan of it because of what happened with Revenge. And Eddie just, I mean, I, um, sorry, not, uh, yeah, with Revenge, but it wasn't Eddie Kramer, uh, Bob Ezrin, sorry. Oh. Uh, yeah, Bob asked about it, but apparently they were not digging what happened with Revenge, and they both agreed that it was just time just to not do it. But Interesting. apparently, not, but Bob was that. interested in doing it. But someone, he didn't specify who, but someone in the KISS camp was like, no, I think we're not going to do that. Well, hmm. Ezra, I have an idea. Ezra, <laughs> I do too, but at the same time, since he didn't name names, I'm not going to name names either. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to put words in he'll, his mouth. He'll pop back up here in a minute, but um, it just seems to me that either Eddie Kramer or Bob Ezrin have a better idea and a better understanding of the band, what it means, who they are both as individuals and as personas, yeah. meaning that he knows, you know, they know the individuals, you know, as people, but they also understand that the persona exists and, and what's the best way to present it sonically. Eddie was my right. favorite producer of theirs. Everything Eddie Kramer did with them, I enjoyed. Even those like early first album demos that never got like the official release. I think those are better than what showed up on the first record. I think Eddie just really knows the Kiss sound. I think, yeah, I think he's more in league. I think, uh, obviously... Bob did great. He made him grand, but Eddie understood the raw. Right. Yeah. As a, He's more like an engineer, whereas like Bob Esmond was like the songwriter. But again, yeah. the question is, uh, I'm going to keep coming back to over and over again as we review this record here. <laughs> Who's the audience for this? Who's the intended audience? <laughs> because it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me here. But... Um, it should be noted while all of this information is coming out, it's Psycho Circus, it's Bruce Fairbairn, you know. But what they're not telling you is that Ace and Peter are not actually going to be on this record. Yep. In fact, they're paid a reported sum of $850,000 a piece to not show up. To just <laughs> shh. <laughs> just say you're on it. You know, just say you're on it. Just this is this is this is like Donald Trump paying off Stormy Daniels. Or, hey, we're not getting political. Or on Vince here. McMahon paying off the intern. Yes. There we go. We'll, we'll go there. We'll go there. But yeah, no, it's it, not a political thing. I'm just saying it's <laughs> it's, it's kind of a. Yeah, but this yeah. is sort of. I mean, it just goes to show that this sort of behavior probably goes on much more widely than we recognize or want to accept. There, there's a slush fund, but real, but yeah. uh, there's a slush fund that's real, but that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so they, you know, so this is a reunion album in name only. So lest we forget Except one song, because in, in right, retrospect, yeah, but, 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 but it's like, lest, so, and again, I find that interesting. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The point needs to be made here again, time and time again, that Kiss is not a band. It's a duo. It's a franchise. It's a duo. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be Welcome to Kiss. How can I take your order? You wanted the best. You got the best. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That got him. Yeah. That was pretty good. <laughs> So in 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 their uh, in place of Peter, we get an uncredited Kevin Valentine, who plays on everything except for one track. We'll talk about the one track that all four play on in a minute. Um, Kevin Valentine played for Breathless. We mentioned him. They opened for Kiss on the Dynasty tour. Yeah. Um, played another drum. dynasty. He also weird. was a member of Donny Iris and the Cruisers. Now Donny Iris had two big hits in the early '80s with a song "Alia" and "Love Is Like a Rock." 
So I think he's the drummer on those. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty right. sure that he is. Those were huge hits in the early 80s. I can remember those quite clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, also played drums on uh, Take It Off. Yeah, he was on. And so we know that he's popped up in the in the Kiss uh, orbit by playing on Hot in the Shade yeah. and uh, something on Revenge. Revenge, Take It Off. Oh, okay. Yeah, but well, yeah, he's. I, I get. I've already got him mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's already in the camp. Uh, and he briefly out. replaced Fred Corey in Cinderella when Fred Corey left Cinderella, the drummer for Cinderella. Huh. But exactly, how did they come to decide he's the guy? He's going to make the record. I, I, that I can't find any information on. I was like, how did they come to choose him and why? I have speculation with nothing to back it up. Okay. I think they probably approached Singer. And he was like, "Fuck you guys," because we know so, he, he was, was pretty bitter. He was pretty bitter. So again, I have no proof of that, but just kind of thinking about people's emotions at the time, I bet you they reached out to him, and he was like, "No, kiss my ass." Yeah. And then they went to the other guy that they had just most recently worked with because they didn't want to search; they wanted to keep it on the down low. Right. So they're just going to go down the list. First singer, nope. He said no. Okay, how about that other guy that played on Revenge? I wonder how much. Uh, you know what's interesting too is I wonder how much he got paid to play on the album versus what Peter got play, paid to not play on the album. Ooh. Right. Yeah. I wonder. If the same like- for Tommy Thayer because apparently, allegedly, according to what information I've got, Tommy Thayer is actually the one playing most of the guitar on this. He plays most of the guitar. Certainly Bruce leads. is credited with a lot of bass, Which oddly enough. Which is really odd, yeah. And then the guitar intro, that the backwards guitar intro. Oh, yeah, within. well, we knew that. Yeah, we Because that was an outtake from Carnival of Souls. Yeah. So you want to jump in on this? Yeah, let's jump yeah. on in. First track, title track, Psycho Circus. Okay. So I first heard this song on... The very first Kiss uh, release I ever had was, which was the uh, Kiss Symphony, and they have a version of Psycho Circus, and I've never liked that song <laughs> <laughs> compared to like all the classic stuff that were that were bookending that. That was just like uh, that was one that made me go like uh, that was the skipper, you know? Yeah, uh, that one for me, I have a love hate with it because if I listen to it with like a musician ear. I'm like, God, no, I don't like this. But if I listen back to it as my seven, eight-year-old self listening to it in mom's car as she's like trying to lie to herself that she enjoys the record, I do get that sense of nostalgia from it. So I understand where you guys come from with the 70s records. You just made a great comment right there. And if your your mom might take that personal, I don't know. No, but I, it's very true of we've I think it later. most Kiss fans. It's pretending you like it. We're going to get to that when I get to my <laughs> no. Mom and I have discussed that later on because she's talked you, about later how she was I, not I'm a fan. Gonna, that's important. I'm okay, going to come sorry. back to that okay. when we get to the summarize, summarization yeah. of the whole album. But but that's from a, a song, but in a song point. breakdown, I think there's just again. To maybe piggyback off your original question of who is this for, I'll ask, who are they trying to fool? Because this song does not sound like Ace and Peter. Yeah. Yeah. They're billing this as a reunion record, yet this doesn't sound like a reunion song. This really doesn't, because I remember listening to it just feeling like, oh, this must, must be what a current Kiss sounds like. So even not having a lot of personal background on knowing what Kiss sounded like, even I was able to pick out this sounds different. 
So I can only imagine fans like you that had been following them for years heard the promises of a reunion record, and this is the song they're pushing? This sounds nothing like a reunion. Well, going back and listening to this for the first time in a long, long time, I've had no memory whatsoever of this carnival opening oh, that of thing? the song. Yeah. I didn't even know that was there. I just, I that shows how long I've, I mean, I probably haven't listened to this since it came out. No, I've hardly revisited this. Um, I don't care for the riff so much. It's, it's, it's stock. I'm surprised you remember that documentary. It's the only part I remember. I mean, how can you forget that? (laughs) That's an embarrassment too, but that's a whole nother. (laughs) Um, I like the big chords under the verse. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. I love that. I think those are really cool. Yeah. And like that's the anchor of which you can build the song. But of course, it takes a shit at the chorus because that's Paul's MO. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, you know, I do agree the verse riffs are pretty fun because Gene mm-hmm. runs off on his own little bass walks and stuff. It still sounds like a modern song, but like you said, it's a good starting point. And then there's the point, and I don't know if you call this the middle eight or not, but where it does the pullback and he starts singing the soft part and it's almost like he's trying to sound kind of oh, like... Oh, and, so- and the the band does the breakdown yeah, yeah. is on the toms, and I'm like, clean he's, guitar. And it's almost like he's trying to sound like almost there's a there's a there's a modulation on his vocal too if you hear it and it's like it's almost it's like, like he's trying to sound echo. a little sim, sinister or something mm-hmm. and I, I wouldn't have done it that way i would have let him sing it more of a sensuous kind of croon to give it more of a seductive or just but i'm just saying it just you know but this is in my opinion probably one of the two best tracks on the record which is really is as good as it, this is as good as it's gonna to, get. I wouldn't say it's in my top two. I think uh, there's two other songs mm, that are better than this. Well, it's not. I, it's not number one. Okay, but the man picking a number one on this was hard. Yeah, <laughs> I have one, but it's not this song. Uh, the either. next song is within a leftover song from Carnival of Souls. Oh, that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, if you have the Gene Simmons box set, uh, there's actually a really interesting part to the demo on this. He edits his own demo, but it works really well. It's the only edit that I was happy he actually made. It starts with a voice memo to himself. So you hear the tape recorder go... He goes, I wanna live, I wanna live, I wanna while a second demo he edits in in the background starts that reverse guitar bit. So you hear him like he's probably sitting somewhere where he doesn't even have a guitar, and then he gets the idea for that chorus melody and he just hums it to himself. So that's just a cool little moment if you have the Gene Simmons box. Well, this is Gene's Beatles love sneaking in again, and particularly in the verse. Uh, then the chorus sort of it's kind of just non-memorable it, it's predictable it's just anti which is okay but it's just anticlimactic yeah it just sort of drones and it's flat and it's, it makes it's just, sense that it comes you, from carnival what, of souls what did you just say it's what did I say? It's just kind of you said uh, anticlimactic. It's boring. It's boring. It clumps. Yeah. It just sounds like exactly There's like it's no excitement to, like from to this song at all. Souls. And this sounds like again. And question is, who are they trying to sell to? This has that kind of modern rock alternative style that they're trying and you to know emulate. The moment it has it is after the second chorus. 
they kind of do that inside yeah. you. Right, 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 right. And that then droning, it breaks. The Alice and Chains that thing. that heavy guitar. Yeah. And then the... Again, who do they think they're going to sell this to, though? My friend Terry that's just puts it on the radio and is like, that part's badass. Exactly. <laughs> he hit the nail. I wasn't going to go quite that far, but I was thinking it. But I, it never I got fully that endorse far. it. It never got to the radio. No, I mean, it, it's a hard sell already before you've even... It is a hard sell. I will you know. agree with you with that. Now, knowing, uh, I'll kind of pivot slightly because it maybe ties into this. I do know that part of the writing process on this is Paul was like, we need certain tropes mm-hmm. that the old records had. Ace needs a spacey song. Peter needs a ballad. I need our rally song. Do you think this is the direction of Gene needs a demon song? I gotta be evil, it's, man. That's, that's a fair question. I don't know because all of these tropes, none of them work. <laughs> and I disagree with that. They need the tropes. See, the thing of it is, is those tropes only existed because of how they were writing, you know, organically in the day. They weren't going, oh, Gene needs a demon song, or they, you know, uh, Bob Ezrin thought that while in the process of making. Destroyer, but they never thought I of it that way. Because once you get into <laughs> right, once you get into back into rock and roll over, there's no, none of that. You know, there's not a spacey A song. There's not a. It's back to sucking and fucking. You know, <laughs> if, for if, the most if, part, they are the kings of the nighttime world, shouting but, it out loud with the god of thunder, and now they're making love. Well, <laughs> but to the point, <laughs> and plaster caster. You know, they to try to go. We'll go to the next song, trying to build a new anthemic. Well, what did we think of Within in general? Eh. Eh. It's boring. I enjoyed it as a kid a lot. I just, I don't. A lot. has no appeal to me. I'm like, I don't. It created a fantasy for me. uh, It it created uh, a weird atmosphere. Maybe, yeah, maybe it would have worked for me, but I just. (laughs) 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 Cap's like, yeah, I got the atmosphere. The atmosphere atmosphere was like after after a bad bowl of chili in the toilet. (laughs) Uh, The next song. I pledge allegiance to the state of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Just the title elicits an eye roll. Yeah. Okay. I, before like, y'all roll into this, this is one of them I, I say that's even this. better than Psycho Circus. Musically, a lot stronger. <sighs> to me, a stronger vocal chorus. It's actually exciting. And... It's one of the few run up the mountain, we're going to do it, all hands together, let's let's conquer the world songs that actually kind of work. Well, there's, there's also like three writers on here too. Paul, this guy, Curtis Cuomo, whose only claim to fame is working on, with K-I-S-S, lowercase, and Holly Knight, who wrote Hide Your Heart. So yeah, um, they had the team for this one. My question was when I was listening to it again for the first time, it was like, did we just suddenly switch albums here? Because we went from one vibe in a whole complete opposite direction, and it's it's it felt so like left field and out of place. All of a sudden, we're going to do this uplifting rock, you know, anthem. and this sounds like poison or something to me. It's not again. It's like. I'm not sure what this is trying to be or who it's trying to appeal to. And I, I don't think they know what it's trying to be or who they're trying to appeal to. So it sits in some sort of weird purgatory between classic Kiss and Paul's penchant for writing montage music. I or, think this song and the next one is the most classic Kiss sounding out of the whole record, though. Like, I think if they had led with this song, 
they might have had a little bit of a better shot because, again, let's break it down from a musical standpoint. Cool little guitar riff, like the intro with the drum intro, uh, like kicking in on that half beat. It's a good Paul vocal. Gene has really cool bass lines. The only thing I can really say that's a negative on it is the lyrics are kind of hokey. It's the 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 line. I pledge allegiance to the state of rock and roll. Mike could work as a throwaway line in a lyric. Yeah, but, but as a title, as, as as the title and the build the song around, it's not a good idea. I it's think not a terrible song, but it's not flat great. on its face because of the lyrics. It's not a terrible song, but it's not great by any means. And if it's not great, then could it still be anything less and still be viable? Which is really the question about this entire album. Because in many ways, this album is really going to prove to be the most important record they would ever make. And it isn't. So again, I keep coming back to the question time and time again as each track comes up. Why? Yeah. <laughs> why? I, will ha- I will have to give props where props do, at least on my end. You guys may not. It's one of the few solos... I could hum back on this record. So props to Tommy. He wrote a really cool solo on that because it's it's when the brand band does the breaks and he does like those multiple chord I, bends. Yeah, I'm not. I'm it's not gonna, a cool little. I'm segment. not gonna ever. I'm not gonna shit on Tommy for his playing. I, or, I say or that as the like overarching yeah. because we see Tommy, the sentiment. The thing about this album is that the playing is fine. Yeah, you it's, know? that's that's not an issue here. Um, and you know, they're. Uh, they're you know they pulled the wool over everyone's eyes with the exception of this one song the next song which i think is the only track that has all four playing on it yeah i think ace lent his guitar work to maybe the next song on the list because that sounds like some ace moves this is called into the void yeah and um I want to say not the next song. Sorry, I don't know. It's this is one of the uh, the ones that stuck with me on a relist, and that was yeah. just like, okay, this wasn't the worst. Thing, I read you know. somewhere this had a different title, and I meant to write it down. Uh, and I don't shaking sharpshooter. That's so much cool. No, I don't. Yeah, uh, Ace on a recent interview said this was uh, the original title for this was shaking sharpshooter. Oh, was he and, not talking shit? <laughs> and apparently the the story being that they cut the demo everything else gene pulls him to the side and goes we like the music why don't you write a space song and he said give me an hour he rewrote the lyrics went in did new vocal takes until they got it done well this the opening riff is decent it kind of calls to mind a bastardization of the riff from rocket ride in a weird way i hear it the verse is a callback to dark light oh wow i never connected that before i like that but the chorus goes nowhere no the Into chorus, the but the, the, what they're playing underneath and this is what i picked up on the on, you know i tried to listen to this album twice and this one i listened to the second time and i picked up on what he's playing underneath the chorus mm. with the, 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 the plane is cool. I like that. I just, the whole end of the void doing choppy and the, bump, and bump, the bump. phrasing of the vocal and stuff doesn't work for me. Um, so I'm curious to know if the original was any better. And I, I, I somehow doubt it, but because most of Ace's solo output was pretty bad. I know you disagree, but I'm just like, you know, I keep going back to the acorn is spinning. That's you, you, okay. That's like the Kiss fans that go back to lick it up every time. They're like, it's a bad band. But 
I mean, anyway, I'm not talk- this isn't the Ace Frehley podcast. I don't like Ace Frehley solos records. I like 78 solo, but where yeah. he went after that, I don't know. I never I liked I never cared to go down that rabbit hole either. I will say, um, we probably won't discuss it because the song wasn't on Spotify, so I don't know if Cap listened to it much. And I know that since it wasn't on Spotify, you didn't give it a re-listen. I think In Your Face is a better race song. Yeah. That came out. It, it was a bonus track for this era for my, Japan my, only. My favorite Ace solo album or solo song post post the Kiss era, not including the 78 album, is probably the song Dolls. Yeah, and then uh, there's another one I can't think of the title of right off that was demoed even before he made you know in the in his post Kiss era and it was oh uh, audio video no I can't remember the title of it but it's pretty okay it's but, not great. but yeah no in your face was an outtake of Psycho Circus and it was on the Japanese release along with um, it's my life because they recorded those two songs and it didn't make the record. And you yeah. had that bonus CD at one yeah, point. Yeah, I probably got it somewhere. Yeah. I probably but, heard but there, it, which yeah. means it left you no impact on me. You better look out because the no in your face. Yeah. Ace is in your face. Gene wrote the lyrics. No. <laughs> but the song musically is so much better. Well, let's let's keep this rolling here because we got a lot of ground to cover here. We are one. We are one. Um, this album has no clear focus. There's too many lane changes. They're just throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. They do that on. It's uh, a good idea lyrically, but musically, this song just meanders. It's mediocre. It's drab. It's dull. There's nothing good about it. This look, is my favorite song. Really, my favorite it's on the record. So dull. It's just like, eh. what? What is this? This isn't even it's, a Kiss it's, song. It's, it's Gene Simmons' love letter to his fans. I get it, man. But it's. It's not a fucking kiss song. No, it's, I don't. I don't like the song at all. So, <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I'm watching I Alex. You. Alex is sitting over there, and if he had a tail, it'd be wagging right now. Yeah, I can I see know. It. It's just like. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Let me tell you what I think. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. Look, I remember listening again. I'm going to refer back to that as the beginning of a lot of this because, again, a lot of this does come from the childhood part, right? And I remember around this time period is when mom was getting me face paint. And let me like paint my face, and I was practicing all that stuff. So when I'm hearing a nice soft song, that really the music on it, the guitar work is really nice. There's that weird fourth chord. Exactly, it it's is. it's a cool little riff. And when I hear you know, and when Gene's talking about, it and I see my face looking back at me, we are right. one. I get that. It connected on a weird way of like they they succeeded with the new generation. They made the original generation part of it. And then hearing that made me feel like I was now part of it because they were talking about now the young people. I see my face looking back at me. Well, I've been painting my face before I even heard this song, you know, and stuff like that. You make a good point here that I think also needs to be noted for as much as I crumb on this stuff is, again, the great thing about music when it's at its best is is not only does it speak to you it can speak for you as well and that creates a deeper connection so that means something to you on a personal level and also i was the fat kid i was bullied in school so then all of a sudden i hear gene talking in a soft voice saying you are not alone but how long can you run and all this stuff 
it hit on a lot of stuff that I felt like I connected to, even at a young age, being the outcast in school when everyone else liked pop music and rap music. Here I was clinging on to this thing that my mom had turned me on to, and now I'm feeling a little bit of that, you know, aloneness. And yeah, it's like, it's now just, I'm that, hearing something that validates cool, and it. And I can appreciate that. And right? I will yeah. say, man, when they played this on the cruise, one tier <laughs> one tier and it wasn't because they were playing it bad because they were but it was one of those you don't expect that kiss is gonna play we are one live they're gonna bury it he did that they did that for you they did man they knew it meant a lot to me now as soon as fucking paul busted into that opening riff and gene started kind of getting people to clap i was like oh shit they're fucking doing this and everyone in my group turned around they're like oh god this song and I'm like huh yeah fuck this song and I'm like oh my god is that, this is great it's that, is that meme where he turns up the dial and he starts crying yes we are one sorry I I, I yeah I, I don't know my, the sentiment doesn't follow the rest of the record we, I though. guess we all couldn't have had an A track of uh, ACDC's High Voltage to plug into when we were 8 but nope. that's alright <laughs> so anytime I'm sad I just put on Black Sabbath <laughs> <laughs> I will say man I, the song still touches a part of me it's, it's nostalgia though I'm willing to admit that oh, yeah. I could look at it objectively and go I, it's not a good kiss song I, okay well that's yeah like, but that makes sense and like I said it, the, the point I was making is, is how you got something personal out yeah. of it not so, the rest of the record, though. Well, let's keep it rolling here. Uh, you wanted the best. You got. You got the best, right? Is it? It's just you wanted we, the best on the record. You wanted the best. Yeah. It, it's this is. We this didn't is get just it. so embarrassingly dumb. So did we get the best though? Not on this. I was wanting the best, guys. You told me I wanted the best. This is you just, live a fairy tale. This is just st- a fallen star. Stupid. Well, who who died to but, make you but, king? Just who do you think you are? But Russ, it's uh, everybody on one song on the Everything's reunion. Everything's gotten know, way that's, out of that's hand. Why but Russ, a- Russ, your wish is my command. Well, uh, okay, <laughs> uh, Gene, never, ever, ever, ever play this song ever again <laughs> oh okay my wishes my oh go away <laughs> just go away delete this album uh, delete the last 30 years of this band <laughs> no again I, um, thought, I thought it was cool as a kid hearing everyone sing because you never got that before you never yeah, heard I, all four members sing a song right but even listening to it younger i I even asked mom, I was like, where's the song? Yeah. There's no song There's in no it. Song. The, the gimmick the is all four people having a line. I don't even know how this made it to pass. I mean, I'm like, when I hear something like this and I hear, oh, well, Ace's stuff wasn't good enough or Peter's stuff wasn't good enough. And I'm going, and this was? I do feel and like this, this is the other song Ace plays me? on. When I said this in the next he song, I well, forgot that we well one have. was between. But this sounds like an Ace solo. But God damn it, it is so goddamn stupid. Why? Uh, and, I, and, and like I said, was really was Peter's stuff so bad that it was worse than that? Let's take it from a lyric standpoint. So they're trying to talk about the idea. Your wish is our command. You wanted the best. You got the best. Here we are. Okay, so that's supposed to be the mission statement of the song. The other lyrics in the song don't match up with that. 
It doesn't. It, like not, none of what they're bit. singing it's about matches good. up with "We are kissing, we are back." You wanted the best, you got the best. Doesn't it? Just doesn't make sense. That the gimmick is that all four people finally sing a song together, mm, and outside good. of the how long is the song two and a half minute gimmick, it's it, there's nothing else in um, my book. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. It's a gimmick, and there's nothing earnest about it. Next track, Raise Your Glasses. It sounds like a should have been a Toby Keith song. The opening riff, to me, was oddly reminiscent of It's My Life. Yeah, which is also a much better song. A much better. Again, what the great lost. And Ace even gets a line in it. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. You know, there's... It's My Life, there's like... Three multiple versions. versions. There's a version that allegedly exists that has never come out or been released. West Beach claims that he played on it, and he's he's heard all the ones that have come out, and he goes, "None of them are me." I, I know what if I played he heard on the it. Gene box set one recently. Yeah, there's I don't one know. On that. that, that's I don't know. I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, so it might be, but I'm just saying. But yeah, there's like three that, or four they, versions. There's two or three. It, demos. it bothers me to know that Gene has thrown this song in the mix multiple times, and it's never made an album all the way to eighty-two. And to me, well, that, it made one album. And made Wendy's album. Yeah, it was on a Wendy Williams record. It's a great song, and to me, it seems like that song should have been on this album and should have been as the lead, and and that should have been the the the, the foundation that they should have built off of. Because even that version, because is cool. that that's a Kiss song through and through. Raise your glasses is the closing credits to a. Top TV Gun movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. Again, <laughs> well, this the- isn't montage music. This is closing credit music. This is, <laughs> I'm walking out of the theater. I don't give a goddamn what this song is. I just watched a new a fucking uh, Garth Brooks movie. <laughs> and again, it's the problem that Paul now has where every song is a motivational speech. Yeah. I shot my arrow at the mark and yeah. hit it. We all need to be somebody. I, we threw it down. You know, it's just like everything is like, you know, we, we fought the dragon. And we slayed the beast. We made the a thing. record and nobody bought it. <laughs> yeah, also it's like Fuck. Again, it's is as goofy as it is, Pledge Allegiance is still a much better version of what he's trying to accomplish here. And and what are we racing our glasses to? I don't know, because they don't drink. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's just, the whole thing is just dumb. Holly Knight is credited as a songwriter too, so I wonder if it's just one of those where it's like she had the song ready and it's like, yeah, we'll use that. Oh, maybe. Uh, possibly. I mean, I don't know. We talked about Bob Ezrin not being used, but he finally finds his way on this album with a song called I Finally Found My Way. <laughs> <laughs> Would you look at that? Which, oh, God. Everything about this is awful. <laughs> Peter, Peter's voice this is was, good. You this, know what? This was to give Peter his moment, but it's a weak track. Written by Paul. Written by Paul. <laughs> Bob Ezrin Here, plays Paul, on it. Did Bob I'm gonna write co-write this, this song for you, Peter? Did, did Ezrin co-write this? Yes, he's a listed so, co-writer. So I'm just like this, they're hey. trying to recreate Beth. Exactly. So all his ideas, Peter's ideas, are all considered not good. So instead, he saddled with this maudlin, syrupy, just shit. Italian diner ballad. It's, Paul's like, well, I wrote you Hard Luck Woman, so I'm going to write you another song. He didn't write him Hard Luck Woman. He wrote it for himself and they made they gave it to Peter to sing. I think it was well, probably... Well, here's the Cameron. formula again. We're going to do that. Work. I'm going to write a song given you're Peter, sing it. They should have bucked formula and given Peter a raver to sing, because that's what Peter does really fucking well. Well, do you agree that Peter needed a song written for him? 
No, I don't know because I don't know what he brought to the table. Well, if we want to use everyone's solo material as an example. Well, Ace, yeah, but, Ace, but Ace got a song. I don't know. Again, he, Ace we, also brought like six songs to the table and threatened to like not do the tour if he didn't at least get one song. No, that Ace was, really pulled his weight to get into the void on there. No, well, the that false, was my impersonation of Peter Chris. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, I thought that, you were also playing devil's advocate. I was like, well, that's because Ace fucking pissed a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're right. It could have also been just as bad because I, I wrote here on my notes. I said I finally found. I finally just found my way to just turn the goddamn thing off halfway through. <laughs> Hey, I didn't it's hate it. It's terrible. I didn't hate it. I it's, honestly didn't. I, I don't hate it either. Is it syrupy and goofy? Yes, but you know what? It's horrible. You know what? It is just as bad as it is. This is coming from the same guy that also said he likes Hold Me, Touch Me from the Paul record. Well, I like that song too. So there is a part of me that likes this. It's not great. They missed the mark on what they tried to do. But there's a part of it I still kind of like. I wonder if this song would have been any better if Paul sang it. Ooh. You know what? Maybe because I'll because we're nearly at the end of the record. But I will say there's basically an entire record's worth of material they recorded at the same time that just did not make the record. And there's some pretty decent Paul songs on there that kind of hinge on this. Not quite as sappy or slow, but like, you know, he's trying to write a little bit more of a ballad and it works a lot more. So that they recorded almost an entire second album's worth of material that just did not make it in. Still not <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so sorry, much. Go. I got lost. Uh, Dreamin', I guess the best that can be said about I'm this it, is it's a poor yeah. knockoff of Alice Cooper, and they got sued. And only very, this is just not a good song. Did they really? It's well, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's they important. settled out of court. It's important huh. to note though, because I see this getting batted around a lot. Alice Cooper did not sue no, Kiss. No, yeah, Alice didn't sue. It's whoever owned the rights yeah, to the Alice, whatever label. Yeah, Alice whatever had no publishing. idea it was yeah. even happening. Yeah. Like, but, like Alice is sitting at home going, hey, I'm going to buy that new Kiss record. What the hell is I'm, this? I'm sure he gets yeah, like exactly. all the letters. It's like, hey, this is happening. He's probably like, what? Yeah, because <laughs> even Cooper's talked about it later on. He's like, once I found out it was happening, like we just, we, we settled. Like I didn't, in, I had no interest in pursuing this. It was the label just going, right. hey, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah he, then, pro- he probably didn't get nothing out of it. Yeah, so so when Alice found out later on, he's just like, y'all, chill, whatever, stop. This, this is fine. I don't care. He, was, he probably looked at the fucking numbers of the sales and went, leave it alone, y'all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this hasn't sold 10 cent in Chinese money. <laughs> Let's leave it alone. We're going to be the good guys now. <laughs> Final track of the album, Journey of a Thousand Years. Talk um, about jumping tracks again. Yeah, this is like another like, I'm Gene Simmons and I'm dark. This could have been a leftover track off of Gene's 78 solo album to me. Yeah, which I can see that. by virtue makes it probably my favorite track on this album. I remember you saying that years ago, but I didn't know if it still held true today. But that's not really saying anything because this whole album great. is such a shameful embarrassment. It doesn't take much to have little, you know, this and Into the Void and Psycho Circus are the only three songs in Psycho Circus the concept's bad but there's elements in it that like I said I liked I don't like the chorus or whatever Into the Void same thing I don't like the chorus this only works for Gene and only in the context of like I said it, it would sound more place on what would be his solo record but 
but kind of I mean, what I like again, about it you made a good the, point about it jumping track so it's like what I like about closer. it is the callback to the Psycho Circus riff did you notice that oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. so the the solo bit in Psycho Circus right right I didn't notice until you said and I just brought it to mind yeah and then in this song you've got a string right element playing right. that same riff so it's a callback so that's cool you can tell that there was at least thought put into it it's like let's make it a concept album but not really a concept album <laughs> it's well, our nod to the elder <laughs> yeah so my my synopsis here is it's no surprise that gene and paul would second guess themselves into in an irrelevant an irrelevant and virtually unlistenable album everything about this is bad to me the the production, the songwriting, the artwork. But you don't like the, the performance, cool 3D album cover, right? The artwork. It's just not a Kiss album. Here we're supposed to get the comeback record, and instead we get this. I mean, the, the cover art's fucking terrible. The music video. The video was dumb. But to be fair, again, who's to say it would have been any different with Ace and Peter's active participation? We don't know. Yeah, according Just to because them, eighteen years of of what they had done prior wasn't good, you know, was there a magic formula at play? They never wrote together when they were together in the in their classic era. Um, I think you know since they have a vibe when it's the four of them. I mean, that's why I, I just don't think you expect any of it to be any different, though. Yeah, and what I found interesting about uh, the recording process of it all before we jump into tour dates and what they did for the stage show and everything <clears throat> is that. Depending on who you ask, someone was in charge, but it wasn't them. So when you hear Ace and Peter talk, they're like, oh, Gene and Paul were control freaks. You know, nothing we did worked. You know, they, it was their way or the highway. Now you hear Paul talk about it, and they put a lot of that on Bruce Fairburn being like, he was steering the ship. We were following orders. He didn't like the material. So there's a lot of finger well, pointing probably, on... That's probably a sizable truth. I'm sure when they go in, they probably have to make an agreement, and it's like somebody has to be the final authority. And mm-hmm. when you go in, it's like, okay, we're going to hire this guy. He's the producer. He's the final authority. Yeah. I don't doubt that to be true. And then, um, unfortunately, Fairburn's no longer around to even share his side of the story. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, going back to the, what you said earlier about your mom pretending telling, to telling like it. Telling herself she liked it, pretending to like it, making herself like it. And that's the like point. It. It's like, I, I, this is what I came up with. And I was like, why do we expect this to be any different? Because we wanted to believe. We wanted to believe that they could do this. That's the power the original four had, that mythos that you, the word you used. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they took a very simple concept and turned it into this monolithic legend. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, and it's towering. And, and, and like I, I, I use the, this cliche a lot. I'm like, it's so towering that don't fool yourself for a second. You're not standing in its shadow. Yeah. Whether you like Kiss or not is irrelevant. That's, Everything they changed the game. Just, just on you can just go for staging presentation. Okay, that's one small thing. But you know they took these basic elements that were already in play and put together a theatrical concept that no one has ever matched and no one's ever superseded. Not even the band themselves. Nope. (laughs) That's how untouchable that was. Yeah. 
And, and the and the reunion stage was cool, but it still could not live up to their classic stages. I mean, one of the coolest things that they only did on that tour, they've not really brought back. Okay, well, maybe for one, because I don't pay attention to all the Tommy and Eric tours, but they had the uh, the pick lifts that went out into the audience. So, like, on the original Love Gun stage, you know, they would go up with the drum riser where right. you get the big cat. Well, not only did they go up this time, they went out and into the audience. So, it's like, that was really cool even, but it still just, it didn't match up. And I think part of the reason for it, none of these stages had a KISS logo. Yeah, I mean, think about how they, important it is no, that there had, is they a, had a scandal. Kiss logo on the reunion tour. It was no, it yeah, was did. it was no. They had the a logo. Screens. No, they had a logo. It was a lit logo, and it could. It was a lot more ornate than any of the previous logos. They had a logo on that. I've not. Well, I'm not d- doubting you. I'm just saying. But so I'm not doubting you. But to the point being of it's so unnoticeable. Uh. Maybe. I, I, Are you talking about I, the LED looking I, one? It uh, might have been. I don't know if it was LED. But because they, I remember there was one similar like that on like the New Year's Rock and Eve when they played under the Brooklyn the, Bridge the, or something. Uh, yeah, they that was the same logo. Yeah, that's like almost like an L, like a light bright but they LED had that. That was That was on the backdrop of the stage. But tell me that. Okay, so I, I kind of mistook that they, as a screen. They took the screen. That, yeah, all of that is... There's not that big stationary huge kiss logo with the big bulbs flashing in your face. You know, kiss. and what's ironic was that everyone kind of their critics again. like to deride that as them being taking it to making it pure Vegas. And now every band in the world's done something like that. Um, I was watching a a video, a live video of the cult recently, and at some point the, their their name comes up in lights behind them, and I was just like, "Hmm, where have I seen that before?" Mm-hmm. Um, this album was released on September twenty second, nineteen ninety eight, the day after my birthday. <laughs> nice. Uh, Did you get it for your birthday? I went down to. Uh, I drove. I was living in Winget, North Carolina, which is way out on the outskirts of Charlotte. Drove up into Charlotte to a record store and was waiting when the door opened. And I can remember putting it in the, sitting in my car, putting it in, and being greatly disappointed. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I, I, I just, I still had this sense of hope that maybe, just maybe, because I had already heard, you know, Psycho Circus as a single had already came out. Mm-hmm. So you weren't going in completely blind. But, you know, once, once we got into like, I pledge allegiance, I was just like, oh my God. And I, I just I, I drove all the way home listening to that piece of shit, and mm-hmm. I think that's probably the last time I ever actually listened to it. I probably gave it a couple of times trying to fool myself into liking it, but it just never connected with me. Um, it debuts at number three on Billboard. Not mm-hmm. something to shake a stick Not at. Not to shake a stick good. at. That's an excellent debut. <laughs> However, the very next week it drops to thirty-five. Mm. <laughs> Everyone in those coliseums bought that record, and then that was it. The Kiss yeah. Army is what sustains this band. Their Fairweather fans aren't going to buy new material. They don't care. They just want to see the spectacle. And the Fairweather fans, everybody. When I say Fairweather fans, these are people that bought Kiss Alive or Kiss Alive Two or maybe Destroyer or maybe Love Gun. And those are the albums that they know. Yep. And they're going to have to, you know. And they and, and, and wisely they hit it. to this point. Every band does. That's what I'm saying. And and. 
because by the start of the tour, the the night that they 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 start the tour, or the actually they don't they play. We'll get into this. They play Dodger Stadium first. Yeah. The album is at number 65 on the charts and will not recover. It does not come up. Mm. The tour does nothing to help it. No. Uh, much hype is given in advance of this pre-tour uh, about 3D special effects. And they do this in the music video, too. It's in the music video, but you wouldn't know it if you didn't. You'd have to buy the home video to, to, to see it in 3D. Mm-hmm. So they released a home video that had uh, two copies of the uh, video, or the music video, rather, on one cassette tape. So you watched it. The first version was the regular you know, MTV version, we should say. Yeah. And then after that, much like their concert... A little screen popped up that says, now put on your 3D glasses. And you put on these included red and blue classic comic book 1940s, 50s, 60s, 3D glasses. And then you're watching the same music video with glasses that just really don't they do don't, right. But there's like a Nickelodeon did that with like a, a serial campaign where mm-hmm. you get, get three uh, 3D glasses if you bought like <clears throat> say catalogs or whatever. And then they did have another version uh, where they were white lenses. And with that uh, okay. one, it's a specific technology, and I had fun wearing those glasses just walking around the apartment. So, <laughs> so no, <laughs> he hung on to those. Wow. I did. Everything looks three D. <laughs> okay, so let me explain though. So the way the technology with these specific three D glasses work, and it's the same ones they implemented in the live show. Red pops out further than a black. So you're looking at it and you're not seeing color differences, but when you look at an actual product, like I'm looking at this flyer here, there's a black background with white text and red accents. The red accents are going to appear as if they're hovering over the black. So think about the colors they specifically use a lot of it. Red, blacks, greens, blues. Those specific colors trigger these lenses and give it that weird 3D effect. Well, the company that was their in-house video system is called Nocturne. Mm-hmm. They did the reunion tour. They did this tour, too. They lobbied heavily to not do this. This idea was presented to them as like a fully fleshed out idea, even though it was. A, and I think, again, this is a Doc McGee idea. No clue how you do it. Yeah. Just, just, this is what we just do it. I'll pay you all the money in the world. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't just do it. I think the idea was to have as much of the video stuff to be as 3D as possible, which of course they could not do. So they have to have pre made. And, and again, now you have the logistics of distributing the, the glasses. And it's just, this is a, this just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. For lack of a better way of saying it, it's a bad idea and it doesn't work. It adds very little to the show. Yeah. And I know I've, I remember when the tour was happening, there were people that were talking about, it, they were just like, I just threw the glasses away. Cause you never hear about any of that kind of stuff, you know, even today where it's just like, uh, nobody's going, man, you remember that bad? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> man, you know, and Gene was talking like his hype was like, Oh, stuff's going to be like popping out from under your seats and blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, okay, whatever. Well, they were also saying they were going to have that touring carnival that they had at the Dodger stadium. Well, that I have that here too. They mm-hmm. appear at the Dodger stadium thing, but they couldn't come to terms. So they only appeared at the one date. Yep. But the whole idea is this whole thing was going to be a traveling you know, dark carnival. Right. And then also, 
You know how much the Smashing Pumpkins were paid uh, to play the opening for that Halloween show? Ten cents. Nope. They wouldn't have made a profit. Zero dollars. <sighs> they did hmm. it for free. I mean, I'm sure I can see. Well, I can that's see a them good thing being nerd, nerdy enough to be like, and, Fuck yeah. and they played a stage in the middle of the crowd. They didn't play on the main stage. Weird. Hmm. Well, that makes sense because. Um, well, but we'll we'll get to that for a minute. Let, okay. Let's just look at this in terms of some pre-tour logistics. Uh, it's a smaller tour in terms of dates. It's only two months in the U.S. with an additional month in Europe, total of sixty-two dates, and I think just just over half are in the U.S. It's only thirty some dates, thirty-four dates. They did a decent amount in Mexico. And on this we're tour. looking at like the reunion tour was like one hundred sixty some dates, mm-hmm. and this is only so it's like. Far less. It's hmm. like a third. Uh, the set list is largely unchanged from the reunion tour with uh, just a few new songs added. They added Psycho Circus Within, interestingly, and Into the Void. And um, I Was Made for Loving You started getting a regular played rotation. Played a few shows, but uh, didn't didn't last. Right. Well, uh, that, that was more or less on the reunion. They tried it a few, but there was a lot of Psycho Circus tour uh, or shows that had uh, I Was Made for Loving You wrapped in. Did they play Australia on this run? Um, I think so. Hang on. Let me, let me, we'll get to it. The uh, opening night is in, is on Halloween and the location is Dodger Stadium in LA and Smashing Pumpkins opens. Um, Essentially, this is a one-off date because the tour doesn't start for another almost two weeks on the East Coast. But um, this is a big. This is really more of a press thing, I think, than anything. They want to do the big jump off like they did at Tiger Stadium, but now they're in L.A., which is a media town. They've got a major opening band, um, and f- the big coup is they've got the Fox Network broadcasting three songs from it mm-hmm. live to coincide with their mad TV appearance, which they've, huh. yeah, this whole weekend, this is a big coup for them. They, uh, they get a kind of a two night stand on, on the Fox network, uh, the TV show millennium, which comes on immediately after the hit show X files. And that they are the subjects of the subject of the show, the, which if I remember right, it's they're filming a video and there's a mad killer on the set kind yep. of a thing. And, and essentially it's like the, the body drops from a noose kind of thing. And this stops the video shoot, you know, all this stuff. And I then, remember it and being, then members of the band show up as extras outside of makeup. They play, hmm. they play characters. Mm-hmm. You got to do a little double take to catch them. Because um, sometimes they're really up. great, like first, Ace and Peter security guards that just walk by. Yeah, Paul is like some random guy. He's at a, a director table. that gets yeah. killed at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And you know what's that's funny kind of, is the first fun, time though. I watched it, I didn't, it didn't even register me that it was Paul. Mm-hmm. It was just like, how did I miss that? Yeah, I, the the episode is actually pretty clever. There's some funny lines in it. It's it's a lot of it's, it's on campy, YouTube. but it's campy in a clever way as opposed to a bad way. They did a good job with the episode. Um, it's fun to watch if you can find it. That, that was a good show anyway, I thought. and I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. I'm sure you can find it. Uh, the next night, they show up on Mad TV, which was running opposite of Saturday Night Live. Where they fight Michael Jackson. And they famously fight Michael Jackson. Honestly, that has to be some one of my favorite TV kiss things is the Mad TV appearance. I think every bit they did on there was great. Uh, the beating up Michael Jackson, the the uh, the 
live action action figures and yeah, you've got full, like full grown action figures uh, and you've like, got like, like Paul walking over yeah. and crushing the tank he's like my action figure mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, the mom stealing Paul at the mm-hmm. end of the like, night like he's a love doll uh, and Gene drooling on the kid and then like even the extra bits of like um, uh, I forget I think it was the the family that Will Sasso was part of. The daughter was coming down the steps getting ready for prom and he's like, Who are you taking the prom? Yeah, and she's like, like Kisses. He goes, Wait, all four of you are yeah. taking you to the prom? And he's and Gene's like, Don't wait up. He's like, No, no, I'm not having this. And then the mom, the grandma walks yeah. down. She's like, Holy oh, yeah. genie. And then it's the whole thing of like, I hadn't seen you since eight. 1975. <laughs> and then, of course, Grandma walks out with them, too. They do a bit on Family Guy. It's kind of like that, too. And then to wrap it up, something that even maybe connects with uh, Russ a little bit, because I know that you're a Peanuts fan, they do a callback to It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. You've got all four of them during the credits running. You've got all four with their um, jack-o'-lantern oh, uh, yeah, trick-or-treat yeah, yeah. bags. And they're going through. It's like, I got a peppermint, yeah. you know, schlock. Peter, Peter gets a rock. Yeah, Peter gets a rock. <laughs> and then he bites it. And he's like, but I love rocks. <laughs> and it's like everyone seemed to have been enjoying themselves. And with them not getting any footage on Saturday Night Live, very little coverage on MTV with Headbangers Ball. It was cool to see them on a very popular show at the time and actually killing it. It was really no, fun for was, me, at least. And they looked like they had fun on that one too. It was it was interesting to see that they even got to broadcast the the live feed, you know, for the first three songs. That was kind of a surprise to me. That's the bigger but coup. Wasn't yeah. Mad TV also on Fox? Yeah, yeah. All of this was on the Fox Network. It was like the Kiss Network for the weekend. Yeah. This show was also broadcast live over the internet, which may be a first for the band. I don't know. Uh, I don't know where it was broadcast, and it was also broadcast over the radio, but I can't find any info on how many stations carried it. I think uh, K-Rock and a few others. Uh, here's what isn't widely reported. The tickets, ticket sales for this show were very sluggish, and the promoter, which was Avalon Attractions, were forced to sell a... Uh, two-for-one promotion to help try to fill it up. And and they do okay. It ultimately draws 32,000 people, which is an impressive number, even if it's not a sellout. It's still, you know, and it's not the 40,000, but, you know, you're, okay, you've come up 8,000 shot. But a lot of this, though, was papered. They yeah. Papered. yeah. They were gave, there was a lot of giveaways. Um, and then the tour begins, like I said, nearly two weeks later when it finally starts on November 12th in Boston. Sold out show. A lot of these shows are sellouts. I did not know this. In my research, I was kind of surprised to find this because I thought this tour wasn't very successful because it was so short. Mm -hmm. Um, They do this weird two-night stand in the New York City area with the band playing at the East Rutherford Brindenburn Arena. I don't Mm -hmm. even know if they call it that anymore. I'm sure it's got a new corporate name. I'm sure it's (laughs) Kentucky Fried Chicken or something. <laughs> but, it's, crypto arena. but it's on the 22nd, and then they play Madison Square Garden on the 23rd. And you got to note that these two arenas are literally across the river from one another. They're yeah. not 10 miles apart. Yeah, even though one says New Jersey, one says New York, they're not that far away. And both shows are sellouts. It's not the five-night stand at MSG that they had done 18 months prior, but it's still an impressive achievement. You got yeah. all the guys that didn't go to the last tour. Probably on this run. Well, I mean, like I said, it's just so weird that it's like, wonder why something must have been happening in MSG. They couldn't get multiple nights. Is the only thing I can figure. Maybe you know, 
I mean, that's got yeah, because be... they still play a lot around the area, like Uniondale, Rochester, Buffalo. So they're still playing a lot around most the New York area. Most of these shows are in the Northeast, and most of these shows are still east of the Mississippi River. Yeah, um, December third, the group. Uh, I guess they're in Toronto filming the concert segment for the forthcoming Detroit Rock City movie. We'll talk a little bit at length about that on the next episode. Yes. But they are using a replica of the original Love Gun stage and the costumes from the Love Gun era, Mm -hmm. as the movie is set in 1978. Um, December 15th, Columbo, Ohio. Columbo. Columbus, (laughs) Ohio, sold-out show. But for reasons unknown, Peter doesn't sing anything other than Beth including Black Diamond. Paul does all the vocals on Black Diamond, and apparently he doesn't sing backup or anything. Hmm. So he may have been sick. That's, that would Boys be my first. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, December 12th. I never say this right. Terre Haute, Indiana. Terre, Terre Haute. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce Terre it. Terre Haute. Terre Haute. Uh, this show is rec- recorded for a limited six-song bonus CD that will be added to the European release of Psycho Circus. So they're in the stronghold of Indiana, one of their Midwest strongholds. Um, they also record additional material in Indianapolis the next night, December 13th. Um I'm I'm just picking stuff off to kind of get this. Get right. We're running a little long here. Am I missing anything that? Not not anything of big note. Uh, I would just say kind of the overall opinions though of this tour are a little bit more lacking when you read the reviews when you read the fan reactions you know we've got a lot of these sold out shows but a lot of people are kind of reporting that you know maybe peter doesn't play that well or ace is a little sloppy well again with this job i have the bet the thing i've got for entertainment is i'll just put on you know a live show and just listen to it so i've been listening to a lot of psycho circus shows you know just kind of getting a vibe for the band and honestly yeah, there's some nights where Peter misses a cue. Like, he he's, he doesn't play, you know, I was made for loving you until the do-do-do part. Like, he was just, you know, doing kick the entire time. He wasn't actually playing. So, yeah, there were some off nights. But Paul consistently was doing really weird stuff vocally, especially on 100,000 Years. That's already a song where you've kind of got a little bit of that, you know, offbeat vocal thing anyway but he was playing it up hard which then was making it hard for ace to come back in with like his bendy bits or peter to come in proper with the drum roll so they may have not been doing great but at the same time paul was doing some weird stuff on vocal and no one seems to talk about that one but it's it's way off it kind of leads into what you were saying about how there's a difference between 90s Paul vocal and 70s Paul vocal. And I like the 70s Paul vocal better. It's like once he got some sort of training or some idea, he became very enamored with his own voice. And that's what this song does, uh, 100,000 years. Uh, He's doing a whole bunch of that. Oh, 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 oh. Well, see, now our, our good friend Jeff Williams is made a one very, um, what's the word? It was it was it was interesting. He goes, you know, it got to be where the singers in the in the nineties and two thousands got to be like guitar players in the eighties, where they felt like they had to hit every note in the scale. Oh, that is good. And I was like, yeah, no, that's really, and that's Paul falls right into that. It's like yep, you mm-hmm. know, there it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. they got to hit every fucking note in the scale. It's just like, god damn it. <laughs> uh, December thirty first, the Palace of Auburn Hills in Detroit is sold out. However, this show was originally scheduled for the Pontiac Silverdome, mm. but. 
you know, even still, Detroit loves them some Kiss, always has. Yep. Probably sold out, right? And yeah, that's what I said. Okay. Sold out. But again, it was they. I think had hoped to get the Silver Dome. Right. Um, the final U.S. date of the Psycho Circus tour is January second, nineteen ninety nine, Nashville. There are only 34 dates, almost all east of the Mississippi River, primarily in the Northeast, like we just said. Mm -hmm. And although not all shows are sellouts, attendance is still strong, so it would seem they would have had uh, no trouble securing additional dates. So who knows? I don't know why this was so short. Um, European tour begins February 28th in Finland, and in the downtime, Paul had knee surgery and wears a brace for this tour. It's also interesting to note, though, uh, January 31st, though, they played the Super Bowl. Oh, did, was that on this? Uh, January hmm. 99. Yeah, well, they didn't really play the Super Bowl. They played the halftime show. No, they didn't play the halftime no, it was show. Like the pre, it was they the played pre-show. the pre-show. Oh, I thought yeah. they actually played no, a halftime, halftime show. halftime show is the... Is the, is the, is the yeah, I thought that's, that's always the what it was. Spot. No, fuck no. They weren't oh. going to give them that. No, this was the era of like Janet Jackson. They just came in and like I think did, did they, didn't they lip sync too? Yeah, it was but a lip sync performance. It was just a pre-show thing that yeah. most people probably didn't even see. A whole bunch of cheerleaders out there dancing along to rock and roll all night. Which, I mean, you know, that's cool. But my whole thing is that that's to me, that's a failure for uh, Doc McGee to be like, you know what? If you're not giving us the halftime spot, we're not interested. That's the way fair I should point. have played that. Yeah, fair point. You know, but it's like, were they really so desperate for media attention that they were going to play that? Were they going to whore themselves out like that? Well, yeah. Well, I think that may have <laughs> been the shift of, yeah. of them trying to reach a new audience because I've talked about it well, before that a whole, lot of that meet and greet audience right, are bankers, are fair weather fans. That's the whole point of this whole era to me is like they're trying to transcend past the Kiss Army, which they'll never ever do. We know, mm-hmm. but they because they to know this those day, sports fans have money. Yeah. Yeah, but to this day, they still do the same thing. Um, let's see. Russian dates were scheduled and then canceled after an international incident in Kosovo and that soured the U.S.-Russian diplomatic relations. Uh, tour headed for South America in April for three dates. Uh, interesting to note, the opening act is Romstein. Okay. Who, I mean, that, who themselves are now known for their impressive pyrotechnic shows. I mean, on mm-hmm. paper, that sounds like it should be, you know, Awesome. <laughs> or at least draw. Um, the final date is in Mexico City on April 24th. Um, in hindsight, this Psycho Circus tour was relatively successful, but it was a far shorter run than the reunion tour, uh, which was, like I said, it was like the reunion tour was nearly three times longer. Yeah. And I don't know why they did not do more dates in the U.S. And, and, and like I said, uh, it seems like they wouldn't have had any trouble you know, getting promoters interested. Yeah, um, especially considering how successful it was. You think they moved too fast? I don't know. Uh, this album wasn't successful. It disappeared without much notice. Yeah. Uh, but the media presence was strong throughout. Mm-hmm. There's a lot out there um, and would continue to be strong. They, they, That's one thing they were able to do was finally kind of court the media. I, mean, I think that came in the wake of the success of the reunion tour, and I think the media wanted to catch up. Yeah. Right. And so they started to create this symbiotic kind of relationship with the media that they had not previously enjoyed. Yeah, because everything they do after this tour, all because I just went ahead and double-checked just the rest of the dates, everything they play for the rest of 99 is a media thing. Yeah. Which we'll get into on the next episode because right. it'll 
play into the farewell tour. But no, everything they play for the rest of this year is used for some sort of promotional tactic. So all is not well in the Kiss camp. Well, yeah, that we'll see. I don't know. Actually, I have an interesting wrap up, and I didn't think about this until this afternoon. The band wanted another destroyer mm-hmm. with a successful tour, everything else. But you know what they got? Psycho Circus. They got another <laughs> dynasty. Yeah, yeah. They true. got another dynasty. A failed tour with expectations that did not meet standards. An album that said had had Ace and Peter on it, but it did not. Where maybe mm. only Peter played on one song on Dynasty. Same thing on this record. Right. There was fractions within the band. History Peter not repeating played. itself. Yep, but not the history they wanted. They tried to pick up in 74, but guess what? They genuinely did pick up at Love Gun. Because the, the next move they make is Dynasty. And that's mm, what they got with this. And it's to say, who's the, you know, maybe that band had its moment. And it, there needs to be a point where you recognize it. And you walk away. Perhaps that's what they're thinking as they move into this next cycle, which is, of course, the the first farewell tour. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which we will talk about at length. Because you didn't with, catch this tour, did you? There wasn't anything close no, enough. I think West Virginia was the closest they yeah, got around I didn't here. Go, didn't go see the Psycho Circus tour. I'm not sure I would have. I don't know. Even if there was a Charlotte date. Well, I, you know, I didn't. Yeah, I, I I just remember thinking that it was a bad idea for them to to run back out so quick but um it's interesting they didn't do any north or south carolina dates on that tour they didn't do hardly i don't think they did anything in the south like i said it was primarily northeast and primarily east of the mississippi yeah they they did hardly they did no west coast dates either it's it's it was really kind of weird how quick it kind of came and went especially if the dates were selling well yeah so I don't know. I've not found Doc, any, explain yourself. Yeah, I've not found any information on that. And there's probably somebody sitting here listening going, maybe, Oh, I know, I know. Maybe it's because you know, right? maybe it's sure because it the technology of the tour was so crap, then that was what they were kinda hinging it on. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I that's the only thing I remember about hearing about from the tour was like the three D thing was like completely inconsequential. It was like they'd hyped it and it was like big deal, so what? Right. But, you know, they have one last card to play, which they're going to play, and we'll talk about that on the next episode of No Time to Turn. So hopefully you guys will join us. So for Cap and for Alex, I'm Russ, and we'll see you next time. Sounds good. Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.